the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Well, we have been blessed with another day that we have been able to gather on Monday. Um, Sad to say that um, when we think about what happened here recently in the last few days, we can't really enter into this day um, adequately or appropriately um, without acknowledging that some evil has occurred that is worthy of our reflection, our consideration, our prayers, certainly. And I'm so thankful that uh, this program, this station has been able to address it in part. Uh, the previous show, Jay Seculo, has dealt with it, I think, for the whole segment. I only started in about 15 minutes towards the end of that program, and that's what they were dealing with, the topic and the subject of uh, the mass shooting that took place in Texas here recently, um, where 26 people were killed. Um, and I'm quoting, gunman Devin Kelly was involved in a argument or a row with his mother-in-law who was thought to be in the congregation. Freeman Martin, regional director for the Texas Department of Public Safety, said this was not racially motivated. It wasn't um, over religious beliefs. There was a domestic situation going on with the family and and in-laws. Mr. Martin also said that Kelly had sent threatening text messages to his mother-in-law the days running up to the attack. The site of the shooting was at the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas, and uh, Kelly died. Mr. Devin Kelly, the gunman, died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound after first being shot by a good Samaritan. I like the way they put that. I want to talk about that a bit at the end of this, uh, this, this point. A good Samaritan shot him, according to Freeman Martin, the regional director for the Texas Department of Public Safety. He was in possession of three guns, that is the gunman, including an assault rifle and two handguns, which was not legally permitted to own, according to police. He was previously discharged from the Air Force several years ago for allegedly assaulting his spouse and a child. U.S. Air Force spokeswoman Ann Stefanik said Kelly served 12 months confinement after a 2012 court-martial for the assault. He also had a history of animal cruelty. It has emerged. Court records in Colorado indicate Kelly was cited for animal cruelty on August 1st, 2014, when he lived in a mobile home park near Colorado Springs. He was given a deferred probationary sentence and, and was ordered to pay 300 and $68 in restitution. Now, our president spoke in on this. He chimed in on this. Donald Trump caused controversy, some say, early today by saying the deadly shooting was about mental health, not guns. The U.S. president said the atrocity isn't a gun situation, but is a mental health problem at the highest levels. While no officials have publicly questioned Kelly, Kelly's mental health, Mr. Trump said that 
That is your problem here. When asked about the shooting as he and Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe held a joint news conference in Tokyo. The first thing that I want to say um, as a human being, an American citizen, fond of my folks, uh, home state, uh, Texas, and uh, and the way of life that's there, um, which is not a whole lot different uh, from the way of life here in, in California, with the exception of uh, it's a cowboy state and, and guns are easily accessible there. They're easily accessible here for those who are in the know as well. Um, and a lot of good people in Texas, a lot of good people. The Good Samaritan, I love the statement there. He had the right and freedom constitutionally to bear arms, and what he did was valiant. And uh, it might serve as a point of conversation, as I'm sure this nation, America, our nation, America, will be discussing uh, these kinds of events as they are escalating to a certain degree. Although after the break, I am going to read you an article relative to the question How common are church shootings? I do want to quell some of the potential uh, nervousness or anxiety that might emerge on your part, because obviously uh, in less than a year now, maybe a little more than a year now, we have uh, had to deal with what took place in in Carolina, North Carolina as well, with regards to the destruction of souls by um, a gunman who who surreptitiously entered in on prayer service uh, and killed a number of people, something between 9 and 11 people, if I recall. This one was horrific. 26 people died, and they were a small congregation in Texas. Uh, So this is going to devastate them forever, not A small matter. Uh, What we had take place a month or so ago in uh, Las Vegas, um, with all of the people being injured, nevertheless, 50-something people died. That, statistically speaking, this is worse. Um, What we don't want to do is become jaded merely by numbers. What we want to do is think through what are the important issues here? What are the things that we should be working through philosophically and theologically and as a humanitarian advocate? uh, Certainly Christians ought to be that. How can we best serve humanity with regards to a dialogue conversation, um, a response to this sort of thing? There's no doubt that these kinds of events escalating should promote among us who are pastors and parishioners of local congregations some sense of preparation uh, for the protection of and care of those who are under our ministries. There's just no doubt about that. This is something that I have been aware of and uh, engaged in for many, many years, although One would love to be able to finish his tenure as a pastor, no matter how many years you are pastoring uh, and a congregational member, by the way, uh, from children on up, because we're moving into our second generation at Grace in Hayward after 20 years, almost 21 years, if not 21 years of ministry. uh, And you would love to be able to see your grandchildren grow up in church as well without any kind of um, conflict, confrontation or uh, violence such as we are starting to see occur. It has not been something that we are not aware of. It occurs uh, throughout history from time to time. Churches will be assaulted. The houses of God, places of worship, 
Institutions of reference are often violated by selfish people who want to make a name for themselves or because of the consequence of events happening often inside the church. <clears throat> Human beings have a uh, uncanny potential to um, to be at odds with one another, ought with one another, conflict with one another, and even fight amongst one another in the presence of God. So first and foremost, our prayers go out to everyone there in uh, Texas where this horrific event occurred. Everyone there, um, our prayers go out for them without qualification, just without qualification do we uh, pray for them, for comfort, for strength, for clarity, for recovery, for a rebalancing uh, of their lives, and even maybe a new vision, um, a new understanding, a new uh, vigor for the gospel in that community. We do believe what the Bible says, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, that God can make all grace abound, even in the most horrific evils. That is what the cross of Jesus Christ teaches us. Therefore, while we will humbly bow in utter grief and sadness for this event and this occasion um, as being part of the body of Christ, so where one member suffers, we all suffer. We will, we will bow before our God and we will humbly cry out to him for mercy for them and for us. Um, and we pray for solutions, solutions on a larger level. I do want to say that uh, while we are in our opening monologue, I'd love to hear from you, by the way. Uh, the number is one 367 one on this illustrious Monday, on this uh, magnificent program, uh, Lifeline, Monday through Friday, on this wonderful uh, Sage uh, station called KFAX, 1100 AM on your dial. Uh, we are so glad to be able to minister to you daily uh, along the lines of everything that goes on in our world. Um, so I do want to say that we will be holding next week what I consider a very important event. I'm privileged to be part of it. Just want to uh, uh, dial you in now. I will dial you in as well next Monday. Join us for a biblical perspective on race relations Lifeline Broadcasting Live uh, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. next Thursday, November 16th. Mark that on your calendar. Next Thursday uh, from 5 to 7, which would be our normal Lifeline program, Craig Roberts will be hosting uh, a race relations dialogue at Faith Fellowship in San Leandro, 577 Manor Drive, Pastor Gary Matara. As you guys know, he comes on somewhere around 11 o'clock, I think, uh, on Mondays, about an hour before we do. And uh, Gary is hosting it, or at least he's allowing Craig to host it there. And on the panel will be Gary Matara, Brian LaRich. You know, Brian is the new kid on the block. Glad to have you around, Brian, uh, with your ministry coming up out of uh, Abundant Life uh, Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. He comes on at around two, I think, in the evening, and uh, glad to have him on as well on board. He, Brian will be there. Gary Matara will be there, and then Flavio uh, Carvalho, who happens to be senior pastor of Life in Christ Ministries in El Cerrito, will be there, and of course, yours truly. 
will be on that panel. If you can't make it, certainly you can listen to us. But I think they would like for people to visit on that evening, Thursday, November 16th, from 5 to 7 p.m. I don't know how many folks Gary can handle in that place if y'all all were to come out. But I think it's going to be a, a great time. The topic is profound. I can tell you now, two hours won't even scratch the surface around the history of race relations. And... uh I'm looking forward to it. I hope that it's framed in a way that we can make some real progress in terms of its origin, its design, its impact, its diabolical and anti-biblical presence in our world. Um, I sure hope we can make some some headway. I'm sure I sure hope that the four men on the panel will do their homework and uh, be ready to talk about uh, the problem of race. You've heard me preach on it many times, uh, but I'm looking forward to the dialogue and then hearing from uh, from the listeners, because if there's any place in the world that needs to have a very clear biblical worldview and understanding of the misnomer of race it's the church of the living God. Uh, but we have not done so well, have we, uh, throughout the history uh, and uh, legacy of the church relative to race? It seems like race has often has had its way, its diabolical way of division and conflict and strife and all the other elements. That's because it's so pervasive with its entrails in virtually every aspect of society. So I'm looking forward to that dialogue, if nothing else, but to bravely broach the topic and, uh, and and begin to talk about uh, solutions for it. Um, I'm also thankful that we're living in California. I can be honest with you, having traversed the world enough to know that uh, there are societies for which this topic could not even begin to be talked about without being sure that the place that would hold the event would be burnt down. I can tell you that now there are places in the world in America that you could not hold a race relations dialogue without the church being burnt down. The pastor being threatened, uh, if not physically harmed. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Okay. I also want to say before we go to break and then I have three lines open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I do want to have good questions. Good. Let's pray for a great topic tonight. You guys, something that will really work for us where we're not wasting our time with 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 with, with subject matter. That's not really all that relevant. I'm, I'm kind of in a mood to want to just go deep with real important matters. When I think about my brothers and sisters being lost uh, to us, not to God, but to us here uh, in, in Texas recently. Um, but this Friday, Listener Appreciation Conference with uh, Brother Phil Howard, Pastor Phil Howard, Valley Bible Church in Hercules. I'm sure you guys have been hearing all about it. Uh, and that evening, I think it'll start at 630. We will have a wonderful time of worship, a wonderful time of banqueting around food. Uh, and then I am um, assigned the subject matter of the sufficiency of Scripture and its Savior to preach to you. And I'm looking forward to that opportunity. So uh, if you want to uh, be part of that, you're going to have to call Valley Bible Church because you got to get tickets so they can make sure they feed you. They've got to have the scale. If you don't eat, I suppose you can come. 
I'd love to see that place filled up, too, just so that we can know that Christians will move and uh, uh, <laughs> dislodge their bodies from their chairs and sofas in front of the TV in order to be part of a movement of God. When the when the proverbial call occurs, it's called a call to worship. A lot of churches don't do that, but I am historically from the Reformed background, and so our churches officially give a call to worship. Uh, so that there is a formal expression that we are moving into the presence of God. Uh, and whenever the saints do gather, that's exactly what is occurring, a call to worship. And uh, we hope that you guys can be with us, make this a momentous event. Let's uh, let's honor Brother Phil with uh, a, a zealous, enthusiastic uh, turnout and then a passionate worship of the true and the living God who has deposited in our life uh, the word of the living God that declares to us a Savior who is unmatched in all of his splendor and glory for our salvation. Uh, the number here at Grace, uh, Grace. The number here at uh, KFAX to reach me is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I gotta take a break. When I come back, we'll get to talking. We'll get to talking uh, again. Three lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time 624, three lines open on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I did open up talking about uh, the shooting that took place here recently in Texas. That was um, a horrible, horrible shooting that uh, that we need to be thinking about and reflecting upon. Held at Faith Fellowship in um, in Texas. Sorry, held, Faith Let's see. No, that's not it. Sorry, Gary. <laughs> uh, Faith Baptist Church in uh, in in Texas uh, that occurred there, and uh, we do need to talk about it. So I do want to say this about it. Um, the the question might be raised, and 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 this you know because these days that we are living in, um, there are all sorts of reasons for which people are inclined not to go to church, not to uh, do what the Lord says, and that is to gather together with the saints. I mean, all sorts of reasons. These are challenges that pastors have, and uh, and we ought to because it's not about just wanting to fill our buildings up, um, but rather to be obedient to Christ. And uh, technology is wonderful. Uh, we are able to live stream, uh, and I'm sure most local churches today can. It's as easy as I don't know what. Um, and so, therefore, people who cannot get out can be part of worship from a distance, technologically speaking. But um, frequently you're hearing, and this obviously has been going on since Hebrews chapter 10, where the text very plainly says, as the manner of some is, they just don't uh, obey God in the area of public and corporate worship. Um, there is a deficit in people's faith in terms of a relationship between what the scripture says and what they're called to do. I can vouch for that for uh, for having observed it now for some 25, 30 years now, even longer, uh, that there is just that category of people who just don't see the importance uh, and they suffer for it. Uh, but then when you have something like this shooting taking place, uh, it becomes all the more justified for people to want to find a reason not to do it and kind of stay home and and, and suggest they can worship at home, which I would suggest to you, um, uh, all things being equal, you can't. It just 
um, you can't sustain that kind of isolated approach. It's not meant to. You can't be as sanctified, as developed, as as characteristically honed, as as essentially edified as with the case when the saints gather together, together from different quarters as one man uh, under one Savior, uh, hearing one truth, uh, blessed by one spirit uh, and walking in one unity. But how common are how common are church shootings? Um, this is the way uh, one author puts it, Joe Carter. He says one of the largest mass shootings in Texas history occurred yesterday at a small Baptist church, leaving Christians grieving and wounded. How common such violence is in churches. The background yesterday morning, actually, he, he dealt with that. And uh, let me go on to say so. In the wake of this tragedy, this is Joe Carter talking, Christians are likely to experience two competing emotions, grief and fear. I agree with him on that. And as Ray Ortland said on uh, Twitter, Ray is another pastor, the San Antonio shooting prompts two sobering thoughts. One, it could have been any of us. Two, it was us in Christ. We are one. I agree with uh, Ray Ortland on that. The appropriate response to the news is to grieve. We should mourn the loss of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and weep with their loved ones. We can also soberly reflect on the fact that it could have been uh, us who were directly and intimately affected by the massacre. What we should not do, however, is let the act of terror cause us to be afraid of gathering with our fellow believers in worship. While it may be tempting to give in to the fear, we should recognize that the church shootings are extremely rare events. Now watch this. The Center for Homicide Homicide Research produced a study using online newspaper archive articles to document all cases of shootings on church property within the United States from 1980 to 2005. According to the data, there was a total of 139, 139 shootings on church property with a total death toll of 185 people. During that 25-year period, there was there was an average of six shootings on church property every year. While that shows gun-related violence is rare, those statistics are for all shootings that occurred on church property, including some in the parking lot and unrelated to church activity and some that involve targeting pastors outside of church services. Now, let's narrow the data further by considering media media reports involving only shootings that occurred within the church and look at the period from 2006, just after the study by the Center for Homicide Research, to June 17, 2015, some uh, nine years later. The day of uh, the mass shooting at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, South Carolina, during that nine-year period, we find approximately 24 church shootings, an average of 2.7 per year. So you hear the numbers. Within the range of nine years, 2006 to 2015, where we had the, the shooting in North Car- South Carolina, at, at Emmanuel Methodist Episcopal Church, there were 24 church shootings at an average of 2.7 per year. If we assume that approximately three church shootings occur every year in the United States, what is the probability that they could occur at any particular church? Church shootings are rarely random, and many are spillovers of domestic violence. Now, that's true. It's folks getting crazy 
in the church parking lot or vegetable or somewhere because they don't know how to manage their conflicts at home. But for our calculations, let's assume the targets are randomly distributed across all congregations. There are an estimated 378,000 congregations in the United States, almost 400,000, which means the likelihood of any congregation being involved in a shooting in any year is approximately one in 126,000 or 000.000079%. If we assume that each congregation meets at least once per week, there are a minimum of 19,656,000 church services every year in the United States. That means your odds of being in a church service in which a shooting occurs are at most one in 6,552,000. The purpose of considering such statistics is not to assuage our fear through probability, but to help us to gain clearer perspectives on reality, a reality that is in God's hand. What these numbers help us quantify is, watch this now, I love what he says here, that God's providential restraint on a specific form of evil is actually occurring. Satan is a terrorist, and if he has his way, there would be some form of deadly violence, including church shootings, on every Sunday in every congregation. But like human terrorists, he is thwarted and limited in his desire to cause direct harm, and so the devil relies on intimidation. What that means is he just hopes where he has an opportunity to work in the mind of a deranged person to harm the saints anywhere, that just the reverberating effects of that assault salt would have the ability to paralyze you from worshiping the true and the living God, stifle and and put into suspense your faith so that you do not actively move out in the obedience of visible worship so that the world might know that the people of God exist in communion and fellowship and worship. I get that. If he can't cause violence in our churches, he will use church shootings to cause division among God's people and cause them to fear entering houses of worship. We must not give in to such satanic terrorism. Instead, we should heed the words of Pastor Pomeroy, who in his sermon the previous weekend said, lean on the Lord. Leaning into God is the way we should go because God's got it figured out whether we do or not. I love it. I love it. God's got it figured out whether we do or not. Got to take another break. Three lines open, one 367 I'll take your calls on any topic, any subject that is really worth all of the people out there listening uh, to hear. one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right. We're back. The time 637 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. What do you want to talk about? Uh, what's on your heart and mind? You want to respond to what we were talking about here previously for the first 30 minutes? Or um, do you have a topic you think is uh, worthy of uh, discussing and, and, and sharing? one 367 We've got three lines open. one 367 for the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me talk to Deb on line number one. Deb, what's going on with you? Brother Jesse? Mm-hmm. I think that... The problem is, with this, is that we emphasize too much violence and crime and all of that. 
And I think that if we would emphasize the good things that happen in our society and we would hear more about that, that would give us a balance. And we would be able to uh, see that the violence isn't the only thing going on in this world. That is not worth it. I agree. Um, I agree that there is way too much of a monopoly leaning on the side of violence. Um, just as a basic uh, capitalist paradigm, uh, you know, so it becomes very difficult to to uh, to to shift our culture's palate and, uh, and, and 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 cravings for information, data, news uh, towards a direction of virtue. I think. Uh, what the writer to the Philippians says, the Apostle Paul says, you know, whatsoever things are, are good, whatsoever things are noble, just, virtuous, et cetera, et cetera. These are the things that we should meditate on, think on, and also whatsoever is praiseworthy. I think that um, what you're saying, Deb, is absolutely and profoundly important relative to um, to what took place. Um, I was talking to my secretary uh, this morning, and she immediately expressed a grieving attitude towards what took place in Texas. Uh, we did not expand on it relative to what you're saying. Uh, I think it's almost assumed. I don't know if there's anybody out there that would disagree with us that there's way, way, way too much violence going on uh, on our televisions, in our media, that uh, is both a um, consequent of violence in our world and a catalyst for it. In other words, it, it works both ways. Don't you think that um, if we are portraying life as normative uh, 24 hours a day uh, hostility, 24 hours a day conflict, 24 hours a day violence, glorifying it, even at the levels of our military, and it's, it's sad, but I think any of us can see that when you watch uh, the news uh, or the uh, commercials and you see how we have integrated uh, 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 video games with our military, with our U.S., uh, with our uh, uh, Air Force and uh, our Marines, and they have become one. And you've got people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and others kind of mediating as generals over the top of uh, small lands as if we were sort of gladiators in a battle where the gods are watching over and dictating. That's exactly what they are emitting and conveying. And, uh, and Well, I and- think if the chaplains and the ministers and the people that are in positions to influence people would emphasize what I just said, there would be a whole lot less. Again, I would say this. I don't know if that's possible. I, you know, we hopefully somebody else can call in and maybe have some kind of insight and another angle at it. I would not impugn our pastors or our um, chaplains for the hard work that they do, Deb, relative to no, this. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them, but I'm saying that if they would— uh, work on a program where they would bring in a lot of the positive aspects of our society that might help change the minds of people. Right, uh, right. Now, what I'm getting at, uh, having some awareness of how how it works with our uh, outreach ministries, uh, church outreach ministries, Deb, um, are dealing with uphill battles. I can tell you that now, whether it's prison ministry, um, whether it's corrections facilities for our youth, whether it's um, uh, um, halfway home uh, ministries for those who are dealing with addiction and things of that nature. It's such an uphill battle because we are dealing with um, uh, 
We're dealing with a a, a, a dual citizenship here. Um, so, I, you know, I they have ideas. They have plans. A lot of times they can't always get um, support uh, financially and otherwise. And so they, they do the best they do the best that they can. Um, if there could be more, um, I definitely would want to know about it and certainly would advocate it because I agree with you 100 percent that. Whatever we set our eyes on and our ears to listen to and to watch at length, it will have an impact on our attitude, on our behavior, and therefore on our culture. And if we could monopolize Hollywood, monopolize the news, monopolize uh, um, any all forms of, of uh, information base uh, for uh, one a day a week, if, 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 if a healthy uh, church body or, or a group of people who have uh, a respect for humanity and, and understand nobility and virtue and and uh, and, and, and good character uh, with all of the resources and giftings we have had now for the umpteen thousands of years that we've been on this planet as human beings uh, could just monopolize all sources of media and information, education, entertainment, etc. Um, I, I think it would have an impact. I think it would absolutely have an impact on our world. So the only thing we can do is pray about it. Look, we're going to be having a, uh, I just said it earlier, we're going to be having a race relations forum at uh, at Faith Fellowship next Thursday. Uh, and for me, that's, that's exciting, Deb, because uh, race is a real issue for everybody, unfortunately, because of the way it was brought into our world and the way it has basically hijacked a human existence and, and, uh, and, and brought the kind of horrific experiences that we have all had. So this here is an attempt at, at dealing with the ugly of humanity and the evil of humanity from the standpoint of false senses of superiority uh, between uh, ethnic groups and so-called races. Um, so I think that's good we got to keep pushing for stuff like that yeah we got to keep pushing yep so i'll be praying and we keep talking and uh we'll talk with you soon thanks for the call um three line four lines open now one triple eight three six seven five three two nine four lines open what say ye about our topic uh what would be your solution excuse me to some of the problems in our world today relative to uh the evil Let's just try to bring it home because our lines are are silent a little bit. I'll I'll, I'll transition into another topic before we get to the top of the hour. Uh, A church shooting like this that happened in Texas. um, How would that impact you? How would that impact you as a as a parishioner of uh, Faith Baptist Church there in Texas? How would that how would that impact you if you uh, survived it? What, what, what would it say to you? How would that challenge your theology? How would that cha- challenge your ecclesiology? Um, I just want to know, I, I, you know, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I want to know whether or not uh, you are indifferent to it uh, um, or did it tug on your heart enough for you to say, I want to do something about it. At least Deb called and said, hey, we need to implement more positive things in order to affect the change. Now, her attitude is right because God has plainly told us that while we are pilgrims passing through, we are not to be negligible or indifferent to our environment, but to impact it as much as we possibly can. So I'm going to ask you, um, while we have this precious time to talk to one another, how would you be impacted by such an event? And what would it cause you to want to do? Let's say you have a family. 
of three or four kids, baby girls and boys, and you went to church and you come to discover that this kind of uh, practice is escalating or occurred, what would you do as a Christian? What what kind of biblical response would a, would would drive you? I'd love to hear from you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm going to take a break. Give you a little chance to call uh, and say, Pastor, I think that um, I would be inclined to feel this way, think this way. And do this or that. That's what I want to hear. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. What would you do? Feel, think, uh, if you were in that kind of a situation, which as unlikely as it would be, according to the stats that we looked at earlier, yet nevertheless it could occur, right? And so if it were us, how would we respond? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. We are back. The time is 6.50 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We have been considering and and working through um, as we have thought about the Sutherland shooting in Texas and the death of 26 people at the hand of a deranged young man who was in conflict with his mother-in-law. Uh, a life that was very uh, problematic on his part, obviously had access to guns and killed 26 people. My question to you, if we are not uh, moving on with other things like football and cleaning the house and things like that, because we are 3000 miles removed from the event, um, is what if it occurred uh, near you? What if it occurred in the sphere and um, scope of your awareness um, as parents. Here's a question that I want to raise as well. Um, how would you how would you instruct your children? <clears throat> you are uh, exposed to an event like that and kids find out that other kids have been killed in the church by somebody that walked up in there. How would you talk to them theologically? What would your answer be to them when they ask the question, mommy, daddy, why did God let that happen? which would be a completely sincere and appropriate question on the part of children because often they don't have to filter the complexity of a divine being who is omniscient, omnipotent, and all good and all wise with the evil that goes on in our world where you and I as adults are doing backflips and turning into pretzels trying to make heads out of what appears to be such a paradoxical uh, incongruency that we don't know how to answer it. But when your kids say, why did God let that happen? What would you say? <clears throat> how would you answer that? How would you tell them to continue to trust God and know that God has this matter in control? And what can we do uh, to think more appropriately, rightly, and respond better to that kind of situation? How would this mature your children for the real world that you live in? You know, we're raising our kids, right? And uh, we do what we can to protect them from all sorts of evil when they're very young. But we come to discover discover early on as parents, don't we, that as our children are moving out into levels of independence, first physically and then emotionally and psychologically and then uh, practically, uh, that they're bumping into evil and pains and difficulties and conflicts almost every day, aren't they? I mean, the question could be raised by the child. Mommy, why did God let my little brother or my big brother or big sister, you know, uh, whop me upside my head or, you know, pull the rug from under me and, and I slipped and fell. Uh, it could be a myriad of things that would be relative to this very same issue, although not as extreme, for which we could ask the question, well, where does God play a role in this matter? Don't you think? 
Sure, I'd love to hear from you on it. one 367 5329 By the way, the reason I raise that up is because we also have an uncanny ability to tuck God into a corner and basically not have to struggle with the reality of God and the reality of evil. Basically, we push him way over in the corner and only use him as an emergency exit strategy or as a fire hose or as a fire extinguisher uh, to to sort of blast the problem really, really quick and, and calm, us, calm us down and get us back to a normalcy pattern. And then all of a sudden, God's not really anything other than an academic gesture. Does that make sense? Right. So I know we struggle with the reality of God in the midst of evil uh, out there. And we should struggle with it in here, too, in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own lives, uh, because God wants us to. He wants us to struggle with what happens when you live outside of the Garden of Eden Eden, and uh, under the construct of a fallen humanity and how, how God can play a real role in, in all of that in terms of shedding light on what happens. And then to remind you, really, uh, the fact that... Um, that, as uh, Ray Ortland put it, in all reality, we often are far more uh, given to the blessing of a normalcy of daily, uninterrupted plans and purposes that have little conflict in them at any kind of alarming level that would make us question where is God or what is God up to or why didn't God be the kind of God I needed him to be in the midst of this evil? No, he's still there. Uh, He's just been good to you all of this time and really wanting you to take advantage of that and leverage that experience over against the small measures of difficulties that we enter into and to draw from the promises of Scripture and to apply them in a way that shows that we are practical and pragmatic Christians. Let me go to line number one and talk with John in Menlo Park. John, are you there? Uh, Yes, I am. Hi, how are you? Okay, how are you doing? Good, good, good. What's your thoughts on our topic? Yeah, I'm at a loss. Kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's happening. It's happening too often now. Okay. Um, and I don't know, you know, if is it gonna is it gonna continue or is it gonna subside? You know, um, I know that I'm not praying like I should. Okay. okay. Uh, I know a lot of times I see people at my church, you know, more in their flesh than in the spirit. Right. And, and to answer, I guess your question earlier is, you know, how how do we, how do we, what do we need to do? I mean, I know I'm not, I'm not as an infectious Christian like I should be. Right. You know, I think if we were, if we were really about our father's business, we would, it would have got headed off before he even pulled the trigger. Even if, you know, somebody would have witnessed to him or shared with him, and he would have, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have did it. Well, let's th- let's let's take that proposition for a moment, if you got a second, because I'm actually so thankful that you called, John. I'd love to get a, a sister to call in. Uh, obviously, Deb called in with a solution on it. I'd love to hear from other Christians. Um, I'm glad that that this Lifeline program is not really a reflection of the whole body of Christ, because I would be very much uh, disappointed by the lo- lines not just ringing off the hook with uh, reflections, uh, concerns and solutions. At least what you said was, this event has definitely let you know 
that uh, we are to be alarmed because it's very possible that this could increase. That's absolutely true. Uh, When evil breaks out in the world, according to the word of God, it is not as if God doesn't know and if God doesn't have a grand purpose beyond it. And it is often, according to the word of God, a form of discipline on, on, on the part of humanity as well as the people of God to wake us up to lethargy and indifference and coldness uh, relative to what God has called us to as the people of God. You said one thing, uh, that you know that you are not praying as much as you ought to. Well, there is a, a, a sort of... Um, ancillary blessing that then has come out of this situation because you see a connection between a prayerless life and maybe a vulnerable life relative to evil. And you already stated that. And then you did speak to how sometimes you can see in your own congregation, a kind of carnality that basically belies the fact that we don't see the bigger cosmic spiritual picture of evil in our world for which we should all be in the mediatorial role of praying uh, in a disposition of prayer in our attitude, uh, a greater uh, disposition of char- charitableness towards <clears throat> each other as the body of Christ, and then uh, missional, missional, like you said. Suppose the folks in that area, now we don't know if this happened, but let's surmise that if it were so, suppose the folks in Sutherland, small town of a thousand people, knew that this young man was behaving the way that he was because he had a long history, right? Uh, and they were praying for for him and and seeking the witness to him and and asking him can they help him is there something they can do for him is there is there a, a program that that can facilitate his agitation and his mental instability all those kinds of things uh john um are are very much fertile questions that we should be asking about the duty of the believer in a broken world. And I, de- I definitely appreciate your uh, bringing that to the table. Do you want to say anything else before I let you go? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I uh, just wanted to say that it, 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 it just makes everything that, that I've been interested in in the last few months pale in comparison to yeah. that year. Yeah. Our eternity is at stake, you know, I yeah. mean... Uh, concerning, you know, with football and basketball and all these other things. It's, yeah. it's just, uh, it just makes you, you know, regret that you spent so much time, you know, running after those those things that, that are not going to pay off. Agreed. Agreed, my dear brother. Agreed. Uh, may God grant us the the balance. I, I you know, I, I so well said, and I'm glad that we had a young man to call in uh, by the name of John to uh, to uh, to address that. So well said, my brother. That um, when this kind of uh, uh, abrupt breach in um, in the lives of people occur um, at the level of this, it really does ask the question: Are we redeeming the time? Um, are we valuing life in terms of the the stewardship of time so that uh, should we be interrupted by that kind of uh, uh, brevity? Uh, will we be found wanting? Will we have spent and exhausted so much of our so-called freedom and right to enjoy ourselves and engage in secular uh, extracurricular activities, which are not in and of themselves bad and in some cases necessary? But can we have drifted too far into the carnal dimension of self-satisfaction? and uh, 
and uh, uh, a pleasure uh, at the at the um, at the expense of the missional call of believers. John, thank you for the call. Before we take a break, I do want to talk with Stefan in Castro Valley, line number two. Stefan, uh, if you're there, what's your thoughts and observation about our topic? Before we take a break, I do want to talk with Stefan. All right. Okay. We're going to take a break. As my engineer said, we're going to weave through some clouds and storms. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 